that jarring cacophony can only mean one thing. You're back with the Power of Three podcast. We are a trio of grumpy, middle-aged Scottish Doctor Who fans who every week digest, digress <laughs> and disagree as we talk about our favourite time-travelling hero in all forms of his adventures, whether on audio, comic strips, animations, novels or even on the blooming telly. I'm Kenny Smith and this week I'm joined by two fellow Doctor Who fans. Listeners, you puny mortals, prepare yourselves and tremble before the might and power of the one and only Mr. David Steele. Good evening, good afternoon, good morning, good welcome back. Thank you for joining us. Hello, yes. And of course, we are three this week, but probably not the three you were expecting. Tom's on the ball this week, and as a result, we're going to have to pull him off and send on a replacement. Dave, You'd better introduce this week's special guest co-conspirator. Who is the new fella on the blog? Well, ladies and gentlemen, it gives me great pleasure to sit on bath taps, but also to introduce my fellow co-host from the Earth 2 podcast. Yes, we're joined this week by my very good friend, many years standing. It's only our Peter Watson. Say hello, Peter. Hello, Peter. Good evening. Hello, Peter. <laughs> Welcome, Welcome to the Earth 2 podcast. Oh, it's sorry. <laughs> You better just briefly explain. Let's go from the top of the show. Tell everybody what Earth 2 is. Just get it out of the way. Sure, let's do this. The Earth 2 podcast is the podcast that explores the origins and the development of the DC Comics multiverse and the legacy of their Golden Age characters throughout the Silver and the Bronze Ages of comics. It sounds like you've said that before. I may have said it once or 67, 68 times now. We used to have it printed out, and the first few that we did, we'd just read it from the printing we'd, and stumble over the printout, but now we just... True. You know. So yes, that's that's, that's that's our other podcast, so we should probably get mm-hmm. Kenny's pieces of eighth out of the way just now as well, shouldn't we? Well, if you must. Kenny, tell us what eighth is then. Pieces of Eight is a Doctor Who podcast purely devoted to the worlds of the Eighth Doctor in which we have guests on every week to tell us about what they've created or written or acted in or designed or produced in some cases. It's Everything you could want to know about the Eighth Doctor, but we're afraid to ask, and we ask those questions. That's what it is. Now, I have to say, I was quite impressed by the fact you mentioned there the gold, silver, and bronze age of comics there. (laughs) Can you see where I'm going with this? Because, of course, who played silver, the character of silver, in Sapphire and Steel? Uh, Ah, ah. That would so, be the marvellous, the marvellous David Collings, yes. It was. I always remember as as Blind Pew in the, the BBC's version of Treasure Island from the 70s, who absolutely Ooh. terrified me. I'm, I'd love to see that again, but I also remember meeting him at a convention once, he wasn't that chatty. <laughs> well, we better not have either of you two being not chatty, because we're going to start this week's <laughs> episode, because we're going to discuss the Black Guardian trilogy from 1983, from season 20. And it would be daft not to start at the very beginning of this trilogy with Modern Undead. On BBC One tomorrow, Doctor Who, the start of a new four-part adventure. Why am I still on Earth? What does a mysterious schoolboy have to do with the Doctor? And where does he come from? That you know anything. Doctor Who, tomorrow at 6.50 on BBC One. Doctor, something's coming straight for us. We've got to get out of the way. 
and I'm going to tell you what our friends at TARDISFANDOM.COM have to say about it. Modern Undead was the third serial of season 20 of Doctor Who. It saw the return of the Brigadier and was the first story in the Black Guardian trilogy, which I've already told you. It also marked the first appearance of this Lord Turbo as both a companion and a villain. Due to its use of very specific date, such as placing the Brigadier's retirement during 1976, this story attempted to address the so-called unit dating controversy. However, in doing so, it became a major part of that very controversy. Well, does continuity get in the way of a good story? Peter, over to you. I must say, Modern Undead is my, well, my joint favourite Doctor Who story of all time. And I mean that sincerely. Most sincerely, folks. The other one, obviously, <laughs> City of Death. That's fine. Everyone loves City of Death. Of course. Great. Modern Undead is so underrated. It's an absolutely incredible story. There's so much in it. The entire plot, the story, everything is so dense, so well-constructed, well-written, well-thought-out. Some of the themes in it include such things as post-traumatic stress and trauma. For example, the very opening scene is one of those John Nathan Turner classics from the Davidson era where basically... It's a holdover explaining something happened in the last episode. It's taken asking the doctor about, am I still am I still possessed by the Mara? Could 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 I be you know attacked by the Mara again? And the doctor saying, oh, Tegan, it's okay. Basically, she's really concerned and really worried, and funnily enough, stressed with the whole situation. But that's one aspect of that that then carries on because later on we have the whole post-traumatic stress of the brigadier and what happens to him, and as a result of events in the story. And that's just one of the of the themes in it. Also, I love the fact that this is a story which actually is about time travel. Time travel is the fundamental plot device in this, in this show that we watch every week that's got time travel in it, but rarely ever uses it as a device. It's incredible. And setting it in two exact time zones, even although some people say it messes up unit dating. I've got major issues with that, but that's fine. It's a fantastic tale. It really is. It works incredibly well with the Brigadier. Uh, I don't think any other companion or any other past uh, who supporting character would have worked as well as the Brigadier in that role, even although it's a complete change of occupation for him because no one else had had that history with the Doctor. And it's just, it's so ridiculously good. But ultimately, ultimately, it's a story about euthanasia. It's a story about people who are suffering and want to die. They've made bad choices in their lives and they are suffering. They want to die. And will the doctor help them? Uh, maybe. And then, <laughs> you know, the, doctor, the doctor buggers off, basically. It <laughs> says, no, it's only other events that change uh, what has to happen. But it's a really adult mature theme for your kids' TV show uh, that goes out at you know, tea time. It was about seven o'clock, I think it went out on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, was it something? But about this time, I was 10 years old. But I remember watching it when I was a boy, and I think I was 10, and it just blew me away. I knew, for example, I knew that the doctor regenerated. My first doctor was Tom Baker. I'd seen, I'd seen City of Death when it first came out, and I'd seen him turn into Peter Davison. I hadn't seen all the episodes, but I'd seen all that. So the way of regeneration as a concept, I was at that time, I was massively going through all the Target books. And I'd read Tenth Planets, I'd read War Games, I'd read Planet of the Spiders, so it's well versed in regeneration as a concept. So when you actually had Modern first appear in his burnt form on the on the uh, Transmat capsules floor, I actually thought, is this the Doctor? Has he 
can see with right. uh, David, David Collins with the burnt makeup, his facial yeah. structure and everything, very yeah. similar to Peter Davison and his voice in that scene as well. You can see that as like a, a raspy Peter Davison voice. So bear in mind, this was back in the days before you had you know, internet, before you had any other news. I wasn't even aware of Doctor Who comic or magazine. I'm not sure which one it was at the time. So this was an absolute shock to me, thinking, could this be the Doctor? The fact he was wearing a blue nappy might have given away the fact it wasn't, but I was 10. So, you know, was, Davis were quite bad, you weren't they? You couldn't conceal anything. Well, there you go. But it was just, it blew me away as a concept. This, the story is just so layered. There's so much great stuff in it, and I'm not even mentioning Turlow yet, because it is the introduction mm. of Turlow, and... It's a fascinating character, and Mark Strickson, see, watching the, the trilogy for the first time in quite a while, actually, in preparation for this, I was just blown away by Mark Strickson because he's he's always doing what actors call a bit of business. Every single scene he's in, he's doing something like he's either, he's buttoning his jacket, he's turning around, he's making a move, but it all seems really natural, but basically every scene he's in, your eyes are drawn to him. You're thinking, what's he doing? And it just adds to the mystique of the character. Obviously, we don't find out a huge amount about Turlow uh, throughout the course of the series until we get a bit of an info dump in Planet of Fire. But it's just a fascinating introduction for the character. So yeah, I, I'll, I'll stand by it. I'll fight everyone to the death who says <laughs> modern undead is rubbish. Fight everyone to the undeath uh, if they say uh, modern undead is rubbish. So there we are. That's my thoughts on modern I've got tons more to talk about, but why don't you guys talk? Yeah. Dave, what's your thoughts <laughs> on it? Well, I find, I've said this many times, that I find it um, very interesting watching a story sort of devoid, you know, devolve from its context. It's quite good watching these three stories one after the other because you get the proper feel of it. The thing that struck me this time was just how antagonistic dialogue between the Doctor and Tegan is at the start. You know, when the, the, the ship that Modern and his pals is on is, is about to collide with them, and they're really, it's quite, there's, almost, there's a real spiteful edge to it, which actually will tie into something I will say about Enlightenment when we get there. No, I, I love Modern Undead. I remember it being previewed in the Radio Times and the Radiotomies and being excited about the Brigadier because obviously I'd seen the Three Doctors when it was repeated and I'd read quite a few of the books with them by that point. I remember John Craven's back pages had that photograph of the Brig and Dr. Antullo in the foreground trying to repair the broken toaster. <laughs> uh, and um, I remember reading it and think, right, oh, Turlock, Turlock. And then when the episode started, they called him Turlo. And I was like, all right, okay, that's fine. Okay, that's that's all right. But it was um, it's what I like about it is, is you know, it's as Pete said, it's such a good story from for the the Bregan for Nicholas Courtney. And you're right when you say it wouldn't have worked as well with another character. They did. You could argue they did something similar with um with Sarah Jane when she came back in School Reunion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I think for for the original audience, almost everyone watching it, I'm sure would have known who the Brigadier was. And, and Nicholas does a really good job of differentiating between the two different versions of the brig. Absolutely, you know, yes. The, yep. Yeah, the 1977 guy is still very recognisably the guy who'd been in mm-hmm. the and talk, the, the couple of Tom Baker stories it was in. And then the other chap, you know, looks so much older, even though he's not got the moustache and, you know, mm-hmm. to age him. It, it was really interesting for that. A couple of things, that, the couple, I have a couple of criticisms, and they kind of cover the whole trilogy, so I'll kind of get them out of the way. It's very, very interesting that in the whole trilogy, with this whole stuff about Turlow trying to kill the Doctor on behalf of the Black Guardian. And at no point, actually, you know, it's not really until I think the end of Enlightenment when we get a reference to the key to time at all. There's very, uh-huh. there's nothing that really explains who the Guardians are. They just sort of assume that we're all Doctor Who fans and we've all read 
programme guides and we know who the Black Guardian is and stuff. The only way we know that the Fifth Doctor has clocked on to Turlough being a baddie is in Peter Davison's playing. There's never mm-hmm. a scene where the Doctor says, oh, wait a minute, Turlough's trying to kill me. There isn't a scene at any point where the Doctor confronts Turlough and says, why are you trying to kill me? Talk a bit more about that when we get to enlightenment. There's a scene in Morgan when he, the Doctor finds the crystal, the Guardian. I'm miming listeners. I'm holding <laughs> up Peter and Kerry's benefit on Zoom here. There's a scene with the Doctor. I'm still doing it. <laughs> I need a prop. I'll use my old phone. The Doctor holds it, finds the crystal in Turlough's bed in the, in the school and he gives it a look and it's purely this look that Peter Davison has thought, right, I need to do something here to suggest mm-hmm. that going on that actually sells it. And then when he throws the crystal back to Turlough when they're in the, the transport cubicle thing, Turlough, as Pete said, Turlough goes, minds yeah. the Doctor know what's going on. That's the only time it re- it's really confronted. And it's, it's, I think it's quite a glaring omission that, you know, at no point does this really happen. The other thing I wanted to talk about about Modern Undead, which, um, which version did you both watch, by the way? Did you watch the replacement CGI effects or did you watch the original? Original. The original. Yeah. Right. Because I, I watched the replacement CGI effects because I think mm-hmm. the flashback sequence is much, much better. There's more shots. It's stuff that the Brigadier actually saw rather than representative clips from the stories. Um, mm-hmm. I love the fact that the Yeti, because they had some film with that, that they, you know, better film them than they hadn't in 82 or 83 when it was made. I love the fact that you see the Doctor and Bessie, you see the regeneration taking place. I, I love the flashback sequence. It was, as a young neophyte fan in 83, it was great seeing the giant robot and seeing the little shot of the second Doctor again and all that. But it's a really, really good way of reminding the audience or reminding, you know, or telling anyone who wasn't really familiar with the big deal that this character has a history. And mm-hmm. again, I'll just, what Pete, what Pete said about, um, there was plans initially, I believe, it was going to be Harry Sullivan or Ian Chesterton. And mm-hmm. that, first, you know, Ian Chester made more no sense from a, you know, being a teacher point of view. I think it works so much better with the brig. So anyway, yeah. I've, ra- I've rabbited enough there. You better have a shot, Ken. Well, it's like I said, the Nick, Nick is, Nick Courtney is just so good as the two brigadiers, which, and I say he differentiates between them brilliantly. You've got mm-hmm. the guy, I mean, literally the younger brig could literally, that could have been like a year after Terror of the Zygons. He just plays it so, mm-hmm. so old school, whereas yeah. the one is, is a little bit more laconic and laid back. Um, now, do you remember when Nick Courtney came to Paisley that he had the Briggs Brillo pad, the wig that he had to cover up the bald patch at the top of his head? And he produced that, which was rather nice. That, that struck me when I was watching this. Other things <laughs> you mentioned, uh, the Black Guardian, as you said, if you haven't a clue who this guy is, you're... There's no explanation, and that is definitely a weakness. That is an assumption on the viewer's part. A couple of other things I do want to mention. The makeup is just fantastic for Modron and his gang, particularly yeah. the, the exposed brains, mm, yes. and it just yeah. looks so, so good. And it is, mm. I think, nine-year-old me was not very keen on that, as it was a bit, ooh, a bit burnt and scary. I also want to mention the music <laughs> from Paddy Kingsland, which is just top-notch. You cannot beat a bit of Paddy Kingsland with his whacka-whacka guitar, uh, letting that go to town, and it is yeah. just so good. It really, yeah. for me, it's a huge part of the feel of the story. It makes it sound so distinct. Mm-hmm. The music's great. It's best actually across all three stories in this little sequence. You know, they're, mm-hmm. all, they're, all, they're all, I don't know if they're all different composers, but I know they're different, at least between Terminus and, and Morden, and I think that really adds to it. I mean, the, it's very, um, I love the sort of electric guitar sort of themes that kind of that pop in when they're exploring yeah. the spaceship and when some happening. They mm-hmm. they really drive it. Yeah, that's a good point. A lot of people slag off the, the car theft. Deedly, 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 deedly <laughs> tune. But I love it because it just sounds, it reminded me so much of uh, Clockwork Orange. 
and some of the oh, yeah. like synth style music in that. Yes, I know what which, you mean. Which makes you think instantly, Turtles a bit unsettling. Admittedly, I didn't pick up on that when I was ten, but <laughs> certainly after seeing Clockwork Orange, then rewatching Modern, I thought, oh, and it just clicked. I wonder if that was maybe something that we're going for of a similar ilk, or whether it's just coincidence, or just me just connecting stuff in my head. But uh, it certainly reminded me of that. Yeah. Yes. Um, and. I also wanted to say, as, as you said, Mark Strickson, absolutely mesmerising, brilliant. Why the guy didn't mm. go on to have a great acting career beyond Doctor Who, I do not get it. Because I think he's so good and there's so much potential there showing this is like only his like second proper TV job and he's so good. And the last thing mm -hmm. I want to mention is Angus Mackay is the headmaster, the original Barusa, and I just think he's got, <laughs> a, he's got a certain charm to him and he's very headmasterly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the point. I've forgotten you, but yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. Skip to the whole story just sings there's so many lovely bits of dialogue in it for example turlow gets to say oh matron which i found particularly hilarious <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. and you're saying take it from me boy solid objects can't dematerialize it, there's yeah. just so many just really fun bits in it uh and oh. the and the, the flashback scene you're talking about first of all the i love the fade from actual brigadier to flashback brigadier it's it's almost mm. it's almost perfect you know where they framed his face mm -hmm. and then after the flashback you get the doctor going one lump or two brigadier and it's uh bless you bless my soul so you've done it again doctor plop perfect absolutely lovely. perfect probably yeah, yeah. I, I just thought of something else i wanted to mention um uh, it, it floated back into my head this really made me laugh when i watched it, it was um tegan taking a homing device for the tardis mm -hmm. Because um, she's just got to walk down the hill to the big building at the bottom. <laughs> got, she's got to find her way back up a hill. Better take That's the homing device. I think we should say well, Jan Janet Fielding's very good in all those scenes. That where you know it's a brilliant idea of mm -hmm. um, the story taking place across you know two timelines simultaneously. And the, the, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I remember ever thinking. I'm trying to think now back to to what I felt on original broadcast, but obviously it's nearly forty years, so I can't really remember how I felt about thinking that it may have been Morgan, that Morgan may have been the Doctor. I don't think I ever caught myself thinking that. But no, Janet feeling so good. And i got to say, it's not the best episode, the best story for Sarah Sutton. Quite, no, quite true. place doesn't really get too much to do, unfortunately. It's a shame. I mean, there's moments when she's just really quite stiff and you think, oh, but again, as Kenny and I have talked many times in the past, Big Finish have kind of played against that and quite a lot of stories have done with her. So, you know, if we didn't have that on telly, we probably wouldn't have had the the richly comicness that we've had in the the audios. See, I found the some of the bits of the series something really interesting because you had the the scene where the brigadier, the scene where eighty three brigadier is talking to the doctor, saying, "I knew you taken once, attractive, spirited, spoke with an Australian accent," and then the doctor goes, "That is my taken," and then it cuts to the scene, then cuts to him meeting Tegan for the first time, which is great. Mm -hmm. But see, when you've got Tegan, Nissa, and seventy seven brigadier. Uh, up in the in the Transmat capsule, the dynamic there—it's Kirk, Spock, McCoy. You've got uh, Tegan going, "This isn't the Doctor. That can't be the Doctor. No, this—I refuse to believe this." And this is saying, "Well, log logically, it could be. We don't know." You get the Brigadier taking charge and saying, "Yeah, well, let's just say on the side of caution, assume it might be, but we'll be cautious." It was—it's very Kirk, Spock, McCoy. It was great. I loved it. The way you're talking about Brigadier 77 or Brigadier 82, you're making it sound like Batman and Batman 66 <laughs> or Batman 89. You comics guys, what are you like? <laughs> indeed, indeed. But I think it's fair to say that between the three of us, we all really enjoyed Modern Undead. 
I enjoyed it a lot mm-hmm. more than I remembered. I think that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. I liked it a lot. I mean, there's, there's criticisms that I've got, but they're not enough to get, you know, but that's, a lot of those criticisms are, you know, kind of intrinsic with what Doctor Who was doing at the time. Everyone knows my opinion, Eric Sabre and all that sort of stuff. So my criticisms aren't in, don't get in the way of me enjoying the story, put it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good. Yeah, I just want to know how much paperwork the uh, Brigadier is going to have to fill out for Turlo going missing uh, from the school. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's, a point, man. That's, a, that's a really good point. I've always wondered about that. And it also, also makes me think about, you know, why didn't they have a proper conversation in the Five Doctors? When they were reunited, yeah. but of course, mm-hmm. Terence probably hadn't seen Morden when he was writing the Five Doctors. It probably hadn't gone out yet. So, you, you know, and no one thought to make him aware of the fact that Turlow was a pupil at the school that the Brig was teaching at, because Sayward was rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, oh dear. Your opinion of him is quite right, terminal, Dave. And talking um, of which, so from terminal to terminus, let's have a chat about the second story in the Black Guardian trilogy. All decks stand by. This is a special announcement from Terminus Incorporated. Anyone failing to disembark will be removed. Sterilization procedures will then follow. You say you have a ship? Yes. I'm commandeering it. I think not. Stop bluffing, you haven't got a chance. This place is a death trap. This is Terminus. For all the lads And Mr. Steele, I believe you have some information on that from TARDIS Wiki. Yes, <clears throat> right. Terminus was the fourth serial of season 20 of Doctor Who. It was the final regular appearance of Sarah Sutton as Nyssa who parted company with the Doctor at the conclusion of Part 4. It was the second story in the Black Guardian trilogy. It featured the last appearance of a four-person regular TARDIS team on the show until 2018's The Woman Who Fell to Earth, where the 15th Doctor joined forces with Yasmin Khan, Ryan Sinclair and Brian. I did not expect to be talking about that with Terminus. My goodness. So, Terminus... What can we say about Terminus? Well, first thing I remember, this actually just popped into my head literally between episodes there or between our chats. As in my maths book at school, they had TV listings or mock TV listings duplicated. And one of the listings they had was for episode two of Terminus because this was so you could work out times between programs and it was all part of a maths problem. When I was in second year and I was all excited, it's like, oh, Doctor Who's in my maths book. So there you go. That's the Scottish education system for you, throwing Doctor Who down your throat in 1987. Excellent. So yes, what can I say about Terminus? It is one of those stories that if I was to list 100 Doctor Who stories that I really fancy watching, Terminus would never be in that list. In my mind... (laughs) before watching Terminus is that story that is really well written it's got some really good stuff in it a really nice concept at the core of it but it's let down in its execution with poor costumes and generally the music from Roger Lim drones and wails and it really leaves you feeling absolutely bereft of life and hope and having rewatched it <laughs> I have to say that I was almost right. Terminus is 
a brilliant script, but it's just let down in its execution, I'm afraid. I think you've got such a fantastic central core story there with effectively, uh, with Lazarus disease, you've got leprosy and effectively, not exactly, mm -hmm. but effectively. And it's such an adult concept. Again, following on from euthanasia, we've got lepers, how dealing with the leper colony. And here we've got the wonderful Peter Davison, Mark Strickson, Janet Fielding and Sarah Sutton, who are, when you listen to the Big Finish Adventures, they had so much fun together. But this one is just so drab in the eye. The colours are just so repetitive. The costumes are just so dull, apart from the team in the with, with all the, the guys with the hydromel, whose name I've completely forgotten just now. And their gear is great with their sort of skeletal garb, with their masks. That is all fantastic. Mm. But by and large, it's drab, drab, drab. It has the Garm, who... I mean, let's not be honest. We know that the Garm is not the best executed Doctor Who monster ever. And it's also quite hard to work out what the hell he's saying half the time with those. Yes, Doctor. Oh, you do that, Tony. Oh, Doctor, this. Doctor, that. Oh, yeah, yes, That's probably a bit too much, but you know what I mean. Muffled and quite hard to call. Kenny, I always know what you mean. Oh, that's good. Oh, that's good. It's very bizarre. I mean, watching episode one when the door's closing, do we all remember the bit from Harry Hill? And Harry Hill's yes. alien fun no. show, or whatever it's called, when the doctor throws the door across the room to stop the door closing. That actually made me laugh <laughs> this time when I was watching it. And I just think that's yeah. just so stupid. They, um, they, had a, they made it a sort of game where Peter Davison was a guest. I think Lisa Tarbuck was one of the others on, this, on Harry Hill's programme. And people had to try and throw <laughs> a small chair towards a door and of course Peter Davison was the only person who did it and he got a big <laughs> very funny well let's have a listen to it and see what happens here the subject is chairs <laughs> this is aimed at you Peter because what impressed me most from the time as Doctor Who was your accuracy in throwing a chair Doorway. <laughs> Let's all have a go as we play Chair Jam. You see the floor leading to the door, but the question I am posing is if you launch a chair looping through the air, can you stop the door from closing? Chair Jam, Chair Jam, Chair Jam. <laughs> now, as you can see, we're in my kitchen full of my wife's lovely knickknacks. Your job is to throw your chair and see whether you can jam it in the door to stop it from closing. So, Lisa, you're up first. Lovely. <laughs> There's a, a chair for you. Thank you. All right, so you've got to try and stop the door from closing. Yeah. All right, you ready? Yeah. Close the door. <laughs> oh, Harry, I'm... I'm so sorry. Look at the mess. It's sort of... It's Look so at the mess you've made. I'm miles off. <laughs> That's the door. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Rosemary. Rosemary Schrager, step up and, and throw your chair. All right, oh. you haven't got much to beat, Rosemary. <laughs> Ready? OK. I'm... Close the door. Oh, not bad. <laughs> Yeah, it was, it was very close. Yeah. Very close. 
Now, it's your go, Louis. All right. How are you feeling? I'm nervous. Any tactics? Nothing. Just throw it. All right. Ready? Close the door. Show us how it's done. Right. You ready? Close the door. Yes! That was Cheer Jam. I'll go back to the score. <laughs> Roger Lim's music is great in the caves of Androsani because it's that doom-laden story because you know that the Doctor's not got much time left because we know it's his final story. And it works in Revelation of the Daleks because it's a story set on a, on a planet where everyone's going pretty much, they're dead or dying. Mm. But here in Terminus, it really does absolutely nothing to help the story along. It is quite possibly my least favourite 80s soundtrack of all the stories, and I pretty much <laughs> love all of them. But this one is just repetitive. It's whining, beeping, dull, it's quite painful to listen to it. And I love my Doctor Who soundtracks when I'm working. Go for the performances. We've got uh, Give Us A Who, Give Us A Who with Peter Davison and Lisa Goddard. It's quite interesting seeing Lisa Goddard in an acting role because for me, when I think of Lisa Goddard, I just think of her on Give Us A Clue. And uh, in fact, there was one edition actually that I saw a clip of recently where it's John Pertwee and Peter Davison on the same team. And it was a clip somewhere. I can't think why it was yes. on. But that was quite yeah, cool. Um... The whole episode of that is on YouTube. I'm, I was kind of hoping at one point it might turn up as a Blu-ray extra. You never know. It'd be wow. quite good if it... Mm -hmm. It'd be um, rather interesting. Michael Ass, believe, makes Doctor Who Mark III and Doctor Who Mark V. It's, it's, um, <laughs> fun. it's good. I find some positives. The model work in this story is brilliant. I think it's really well done. Even though it's been done in video, it still looks really good and it's it's nice and shiny and clear and the ships look good. Although the space helmets are a little odd with uh, just like the giant bubbles, probably mm. to fit in the lovely 80s hair that, uh, that the pair have when they board. Interesting that you've got the brother, you've got uh, Dominic Gard, who's, or is it Christopher Gard? I've forgotten. The one who's the brother of Bellboy in The Greatest Show in the Galaxy. Yeah, it's Dominic. That's fun. Mm. Yeah. He gives a very forgettable performance, doesn't he? It's sort of like he's there throughout <laughs> and it's just yeah, it's definitely one of the one of the best forgettable performances of the show. <laughs> but it's interesting the doctors the doctor forms a really good double act with Lisa Goddard. It's quite interesting the fact that the fifth doctor always seems to do slightly more interesting stuff when he's got a slightly older female companion, look at Kinda and his relationship with Todd. And it's I think it's a mm. really interesting pairing. But really yeah. I just find, I always, I always thought, surely Terminus can't be as dull as I think. And then on re-watching it, it really was just sort of, okay, I'm watching it. I didn't struggle with it, but I just found sort of like the motivations like, oh, if I'd had a power cut, I wouldn't have felt the urge to re-switch, just put it back on straight away. It'd be like, oh, well, I'll go make myself a cup of tea and I'll maybe watch some Sky Sports news. <laughs> it just didn't, it just doesn't grab me in the way that I felt that a story should. However... I have saved the very best to last. Gentlemen, what do we think of the Sarah Sutton skirt moment? <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> you know me far too well. Um, I, I, it's, 
I think I think it's become more than it is. You know, it's just you know. Yeah, I don't really to add to it. I don't find it titillating if that's what you mean. No, it's um, not. I get much more out much more out of the betting and lighting when we see Tegan putting her shoes on, but that's just me. <laughs> <laughs> David Steele, foot fan. Peter, what did you think of it? Do you think it's is it gratuitous? I don't mind the uh, skirt coming off scene as much uh, because it kind of makes sense if you're like diseased, you're feeling all hot, and you know, to remove one layer of clothing makes sense. What I do mind is the gratuitous up the panties shot we get later on when she's getting a radiation treatment. I think that's really awful, but never mind. Uh, I think that's a lot worse than the skirt coming off. I don't think I've ever that, to be honest. I'm not going to go and look. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest, I'd but never yeah, noticed that. That's, that's quite surprising. I'd never noticed that. I was about to say I'll go back and check, but <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to. No, I generally haven't. But no, I mean, for me, it's. I think it's a lot. It's been a lot. Made a lot worse than it was. I mean, it's. It just. Yeah, it, it, it sort of makes sense in the story narrative. See, if I scored it out of ten, I'd probably give it a five and a half. But that's because I think the script is so good and the dialogue is great. Where do you guys stand on it, Peter? To be honest, when I was doing the rewatch for this, I always thought of Terminus as the clunker in between. My favourite story and a really good story. But when I rewatched it, I actually really enjoyed this, to be honest. As you said, the script is excellent. It kicks off for the first time I'd actually heard the word roundel being used on the show. I'd read it plenty of times in the target books. But yeah, they actually talk about roundels. And I thought, excellent. Not round things, as they call it in New Who, but proper roundels. Amazing. Turlow gets Adric's room, which I thought was <laughs> really exciting. Bit of continuity there. It's like, oh, I suppose you could have this. Uh, you suppose you could throw his stuff out, snap, snap. Uh, <laughs> I thought that was great. Uh, I thought for oh, this is the second story in a row in which we've had a ship with diseased people travelling, which uh, I thought was quite interesting, holding over you know the same idea concept from Modern Undead, uh, mm. except this time they're actually going to get cured, hopefully to live, uh, as opposed to get cured, hopefully to die, which was in Modern. So yeah, I thought that was quite interesting. And again, the cure for Lazarus' disease is radiation. It's basically chemotherapy. It's it's really interesting. And, and we need to talk about Sarah Sutton's leaving because it wasn't her choice to leave. She was told, this is your last story. And right, okay. And the way it's played at the end is phenomenal because she's got that scene in the background where she has to talk to Tegan. And the plot's happening in the foreground. But see if you just watch them. It's, yeah. it's it's amazing, especially if you know what's coming, because you could take and basically saying no and then rushing towards the doctor, but Nissa just grabs her arm and spins her back round to finish mm. off what she's saying to explain it. And it's just mm. such such great character stuff there. And it feels really emotional. The goodbye scene between them feels really emotional. Uh, and it's, yeah, I found it really powerful. And it's a logical reason for a companion to leave. It's totally yeah. what she's all about. Although I do have a problem with some of the dialogue there. For example, Nessa says, I've loved every moment of my time in the TARDIS and I'll miss you both. You, you loved when your pal Adric got killed. You loved when your dad <laughs> got killed. And then this evil Time Lord took over his body and we see him every other week. And I'm reminded of that constantly. Apparently she loves that. Apart, apart from that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but we've also got Tegan's overreaction saying the doctor shall die here. It's like, well, not necessarily Tegan, you know. Uh, she could, she could, you know, set this up this hospital and move on. Maybe you're going to come back at some point and see her. You never know. You never know. Yeah. Obviously, I th- I've not 
Adult Nissa comes back in Big Finish. Is that right? Yes. Because I've yes. not heard those. I've not heard those ones, yeah. so I don't really yeah. know how it's picked up from there. I only know literally from uh, this show. But yeah, I find that really, really interesting. Again, as you said, the script's great. You've got that great extra scene with Turlo and Tegan, with basically Turlo going, "Could you kill someone?" And you know, you Tegan say, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> then it's like. You're weird, Tello. <laughs> which sounded a bit like you're terrible, Muriel. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's it's great. Also, also, this is the second Peter Davis' story that has Event One in it. Castrovalva, obviously, they were zooming back to Event One, and uh, this actually is Event One. This is the Big Bang. It's, it's where it all came from, and it's fascinating because it is just, as you said, it's kind of like a disposable story that no one really, no one really debates, no one really thinks about. But it's got pretty much the entire creation of the universe coming from this story that no one really talks about. It's it's fascinating. It's, I, find, I find it really more impressive watching it than I was expecting to. So, yeah, that's my thoughts. Dave, okay. what did you think? I really like Terminus. There you go. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> I mean, I really like all these stories, but I, I really like Terminus. I like how it's basically three sets of characters and Nyssa sort of is the only one that really plays between them all, really. Mm. You know, Tegan and Turlo, it's already Mark's, it's Mark Strix in the second story and he's already not got very much to do. He's just crawling about, you know, mm -hmm. a ventilation shaft with, with Janet Fielding. You almost sort of wonder, like, they could have just stayed on the TARDIS for, for all that they could have done and someone else could have bashed into a panel that would have started the computer off. I had a similar experience of, I remember at the time just thinking of Lisa Goddard as that woman off the telly. It's very difficult to think of her as an actor, like, you know, she popped up in Bergerac, but even there she was just playing Lisa Goddard off the telly. It's mm -hmm. um I like what you were saying about the, the creation of the universe. I love those scenes where the doctor's sort of working it out, you know, proper, really good Peter Davison acting. I like the, the the almost sort of and I, I've been critical in the past of the, the, the space Shakespeare dialogue that you get in Eric Sabre's stories, but I think that the 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 guy in armor have a real Shakespearean quality to them, you know. They've obviously been there for a long time, and you know, I'm fascinated by the, by the culture that led them there. It's, it's Terminus is one of the, the few stories that I'd be interested in a in a sequel or a prequel of, kind of setting some of that up. I, I agree with a lot a lot of what Kerry said about his criticisms, but for me, they're not a reason to dislike it because I think at the heart, it's such a nice, pure sci-fi story in a way that Doctor Who doesn't really do too often. There's some really good ideas. And again, I like O'Kenny's point about, because I had the same thought myself, how it's interesting that every so often they, they pair the fifth Doctor up with another adult who basically fulfills the companion role for the mm -hmm. story. It's interesting just how often that does happen and how much better and how much happier Peter Davison seems as a result. I like the music, I'm afraid. I think it all it all works very well. I mean, we know that they had a horrible time making it and had to, you know, get Sarah Sutton back in for a day after they'd actually finished to try and get it all done because, you know, be it the director's fault or whatever was just going on with the BBC at the time, you know, that, you know, season 20, as we know, was, was really badly hit by the strikes because, you know, we lost, we lost what was supposed to be the story at the end and they had to bump Enlightenment back into that production slot as a result and, mm. you know, Enlightenment got some recast and all that sort of stuff. You know, it was difficult times and it's one of these things when you sort of think nowadays when it seems to take them, you know, two years to make a series back in those days when they had the schedule to meet the discipline, they just got on with it and made it. No, I, I, I like Terminus a lot. It's um, I think it's quite adult in tone. It's quite uncompromising. It's quite a strong 
thing to talk about. You know, she said, you know, the euthanasia in the previous story, it's it's, it's quite, you know, people dying of, 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 of a form of leprosy, I suppose, is quite, it's quite a dark thing to sort of, you know, go into um, after you've just been running about, you know, Amsterdam a few weeks earlier. I don't normally give stories, Doctor Who stories mark out, marks out of 10, but I would veer towards seven and a half, maybe even eight for this one. I, I like the atmosphere. I like its consistency. You know, the bleakness, I think, really emphasises the, the desperate straits that the people are in. I love the fact that Nyssa, after having spent a whole time in the TARDIS synthesising enzymes and doing things in her bedroom, finally gets to put all that to youth. You know, I like what you were saying. I love Nyssa's leaving scene. It's up there with when... um. His favourite leaving scene. It's in my top three, along with when Stephen leaves and when Nardole and the Doctor sort of have their little parting of the ways in The Doctor Falls. It's thought out, it's true to the character, and it's quite devastating. And it's interesting, you know, Pete, mentioned about the, the big finish stuff. You know, I think adult Nissa has been back more times than, you know, <laughs> than I can count. There's done a lot of very interesting stuff with her. I mean, I like Mrs. Departure. I think it's really well done. And you can see that it has been, it's, it does feel like a natural departure for her because this is something that would play upon her skills that we have. You know, it's not just something like, um, oh, Perry, she's a botany student and that's it. Until occasionally she looks at a plant and goes, oh, and pretty much, you know, I think it's Revelation yeah. of the Daleks is about the only story mm -hmm. to mention it. Whereas with Nissa, it's something that has yeah. been sort of mentioned in an ongoing kind of way. So I think it is very much an apt departure. Yeah, it's like Melanie's computer programming stuff, which never gets <laughs> And if Dragonfire had ended with Melanie doing something amazing on a computer, it might have made a bit more sense for, for all that, you know. Anyway. But I think it's a natural departure and it just and it's just a shame that because of John Nathan Turner's no hanky-panky in the TARDIS rule, the Doctor couldn't even give her a nice wee hug, and it's just that sort of very British farewell, and, oh, yeah, well, she, she deserved more she than does, that. She does, she does lean in and give him a little kiss on the cheek, which is quite nice, quite poignant. Mm -hmm. it's, um, it's very touching, it's very well done, and, you know, you totally believe that Tegan is really worried about her, and, and Turlow, obviously, as the story finished, Turlow isn't any closer to, to killing the Doctor, and the Black Guardian's not happy. <laughs> Yep. One final point about the veneer, whose name I'd forgotten earlier, but I remember now, the guys in armour. Don't they all look mm -hmm. like prog rock band members? <laughs> Probably. You know, one of them, I can't remember, hang on, let me, I've, as, my, as my old phone resets, one of them, a guy called Martin Potter, was in a film I watched on, I ended up watching three times on Talking Pictures in the space of four days of the week, <laughs> called All Coppers Are that I've become completely obsessed with recently. And, um, you know, I might sort of try and flag up as a as a potential for the for the family tree if we were to keep that going. He, he plays, I think it was Iraq or Iraq, the one with the, the, one with the really piercing eyes. He's he's a terrific actor and it's, it's good that, he's, that he was in Doctor Who. Yeah, the veneer are tremendous. Um, you know, I love the whole skeletal look to their armour. They're really quite scary. Yeah. Yeah. And this, the vent at the front for the hydromel makes perfect sense. It's, it's as if it's place for you know direct injection into the heart straight into the system you know it's it's a really yeah. clever design yeah, yes I really it's very it. well and very well done i agree so there we go that is terminus and of course i think what do we all need a little bit of in these difficult times in our life we all need a little bit of enlightenment don't we <laughs> <laughs> oh one Kenny Smith brings you a torturous comedy link. <laughs> I make them up as I'm going along, believe it or not. Not, not really. Oh, really? <laughs> I didn't even script the story. Right, I know my libs. So, <laughs> film comedian guys, I was once Frankie Boyle support act. Yeah, I love that. That's like the best fact ever.
I mean, you should have you should have that in your you should have that in your Twitter bio Twitter bio before all the stuff about Vortex really should. <laughs> did you know that did you know that Kenny auditioned for Big Brother? Wow, okay. excellent <laughs> season two when all the really boring people were on. <laughs> God, well, that was Brian's year, wasn't it? Oh well, okay. <laughs> yeah, he was the only interesting one. Oh, anyway. <laughs> Yes, let, let's learn about enlightenment. Tell the doctor, he said, somebody or something must not win the race. Winner takes all. When the White Guardian says it's danger, he's invariably right. Whatever else is going on here, no one's threatened us. Yet. What are you competing for? I mean, the whole point of a race is to win something. What's the prize? Enlightenment. We do not exist in the time. We are eternal. There's no need to whisper, Doctor. You and your companions are free to come and go as you wish. You are our guests, not our prisoners. I heard the power that speaks to you. I heard it, and I know the voice. He speaks to me as well. Take him away. Peter, would you like to tell us all about enlightenment. I would love to. Uh, yes, from Tardis Wiki, enlightenment was the fifth and penultimate serial in season 20 of Doctor Who. It saw the introduction of the Eternals, not the Marvel MCU Eternals, which is coming shortly, <laughs> uh, but Doctor Who's Eternals. It also saw the conclusion of the Black Guardian trilogy with the redemption of Turlow, spoilers, and the first appearance of the White Guardian since the Ribos operation. <laughs> Good fact. Also, mm. can I just pick you up there? This Reboss. I'm not a true fan. I still call it Mandragora after all these years. I mentioned that earlier today. I was talking about that with Becca earlier on, and lo and behold, that was what I said. Mandragora, Mandragora. There we go. Sorry, Peter, I interrupted. <laughs> That's okay. A large number of model shots were used in this story to create the racing scenes and their associated locations. And that's all the interesting facts Tardis Wiki has. Wow. Well, we Dave, why don't you tell us your thoughts on the Enlightenment? <laughs> Enlightenment. Keith Barron's in it. Keith Barron's a brown actor. He's one of my favourite actors. He, in, the, in the movie of The Land That Time Forgot, he plays a part of Bradley, who's the hero of the third book um, in, in the original sequence by Edgar Rice Burroughs. And so anytime Keith Barron pops up, I'm just like, Yes! I like how he's Keith Barron. Um, this is the Keith now the Keith Barron podcast. I like how Keith Barron, who at that time was probably most famous for at the time for being in the ITV sitcom Duty Free. I like how he just plays it totally straight. But it's it's a fascinating story because the it's ideas are go go. It's it's quite strange, you know. As people always think about season twenty and how it's the one that had returning elements from the Doctor's past in every story, but there's, there's also a lot of really good original ideas as well. And there's plenty of them in this story. I mean, the cliffhanger to episode one is one of the best in the, the, the series history. That whole slow feed um, with the Doctor and Turlow sort of meeting the crew, the ship, and all the walking around. And then we will look at our competitors, please. And then the electronics and Tegan sort of going, you know, what was going And Davison's wide-eyed, sort of like disbelieving. We're not on a yacht. We're on a ship. It's phenomenal. This is one case where I didn't watch the replacement CGI effects version that's on the DVD because I watched it once and it was like, God... That's 
15 minutes of my life that I'll never get back. It's interesting because there isn't, a, as we said earlier on, it's the conclusion to the Turlow trilogy, or the Turlow's introduction trilogy. And the resolution plays out almost as if the Doctor and Tegan know exactly what's going on and everything involved. And again, that's I think it's down to Peter and Janet's playing rather than the script because we mm. don't have a moment when the Doctor, unless it happens off, yeah, it's funny, it could have happened off camera because they have, you know, there's a whole sequence when you think the Doctor and Turlow fall into space and died. We should talk about Nurse Gladys Emmanuel. What do you think of Linda Barron's rack? <laughs> Peter just gave a very disapproving look there. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, yeah, see, Linda Barron, was she related to Keith? No, Keith different Barron. spelling. Yeah, because she was also most well known for appearing. No, yeah, th- th- thank you, thank you, Peter. Um, you know, she was most well known for appearing. My favourite sitcom of all time, Open All Hours, as, as you know, the object of Ronnie Barker's obsession. And, and she's great, and you can tell she's having a great time. And we should also talk about Lee John from Pop Group Imagination, because there is a line, I'm sure, when someone says something about just being their imagination, and then he pops up. And he, you know, people always make a quick jokes about how he, he's doing everything in a very sexy way. You know, I'm going to say my lines in a slow and sexy way, but he's actually really good. It's very understated. The camera doesn't hover on him and go, look, it's Lee John. I remember this at the time when it when it went out, my mum and I being really impressed. You know, it's like, wow. Oh, well, never mind Keith Barron or Moscow. They've got Lee, the guy from Imaginations and Doctor. Is that allowed? I think it's tremendous. And the Eternals are such a great idea. They remind me of the Celestial Toymaker, and I'm sure there was a story in the last series on TV that referenced them, but yes, I there think was. it was called... I think it was called Can You Hear Me? But as I've only watched most of the last series twice at the most, I can't really remember too well. It's interesting. The, the visuals are amazing, obviously. The model work of the ships in space is stunning. I love the scenes with Tegan in her sort of little bedroom that's made up, obviously, from her memories and the photograph of Aunt Vanessa and mm-hmm. stuff. All that's really good. And, you know, Turlo gets quite a lot you know, of some, some good manic acting to do, which is a lot of fun. I love the fact that he's going nuts and the Doctor isn't that bothered. Don't be an idiot. Don't jump off the side. Okay, he's jumped off the side. Yeah, I like it a lot. Is it my favourite? No, I think I probably like them all about the same, but I don't think I enjoy it quite as much as modern. Probably a little bit more than Terminus. I think it's strength of the ideas and the visuals. I think it's a shame Barbara Clegg never came back because she obviously had plenty of thoughts about, you know, where Doctor Who could go. Um, and it's a shame that they never got her because, it, you know, it might have been quite interesting. Oh, yeah, Peter Davison's hair is phenomenal. They've <laughs> had, had that little gap since the last story and it's grown out and mm. those scenes in the ship but it's all moody lighting. He looks great. So yes, that, that's me for Enlightenment. Who's next? Fantastic. I really okay. enjoyed Enlightenment. Like you, cannot stand the CGI version. It just ruins. The model work is perfect and that's the only word for it. It's perfect. I think it's a really good, clever story, great script, a lot of imagination as you mentioned i think that it's a great guest cast keith barron is brilliant linda barron is a wonderfully over-the-top pirate lee john who i interviewed a few years ago and we got to talk about doctor Mm -hmm. who mentioned it and uh, he still thinks of it very fondly and it's one of his favorite jobs that he did and what did you interview him for he was coming up to an 80s festival and i spoke to him for that and uh, he was lovely 
the music is great in this, really enjoyed it. I just think it looks great. It does feel like the fact it's set on ships makes it obviously easier for the design department. So you don't have to come up with yet another spaceship interior. But the fact that you've got literally a ship in space is great. And the BBC can do period drama ships, no problem at all whatsoever. There's a great point. And There's also, a great point in the bonus features when, they, when the, the guy who played Mariner talks about how they did all the corridor acting and running up and down around the same bit of corridor. <laughs> You'll run down a bit of corridor, right? Okay, we set, turn the camera slightly, run down a bit of corridor. Yeah. Tremendous. And my final point is about the Guardians. Like, really? I mean, just like, it didn't need to be the Guardians. It could have been anybody, really. It just could have been somebody with a grudge against the Doctor. And the fact that they both got uh, these birds in their head, they just look like a pair of ridiculous, silly old men. Yeah, I mean, it's they're daft because they don't give them any real proper context or explanation. I mean, they keep the when the White Guardian talks about the key to time, that's literally the only time that that gets alluded mm-hmm. to. Even then, how many people are going to re- remember the tail end of the Mary Tam series that went out, what, four years, four or five years ago? It's, it's yeah, Exactly. It's baffling. Exactly. It's just it's what I've said many times in the past about questionable priorities. Yeah. Peter, what's your thoughts? I did really enjoy it, yes. It was a lot of fun. I loved Mariner's obsession with uh, Tegan. It was bordering <laughs> on stalking. It was insane. When he first appears in the TARDIS scanner, and it's just his hands and then his big face peering in, and then he falls. I don't understand that bit. He seems to fall, and uh, yeah, really weird. Uh, but yeah, and his general obsession with it, even when you know he's dressing it up to take her away to the other ship, it's like Tegan's wearing a wedding dress almost. It's almost like he's got this romantic obsession with her, which is bizarre. I totally agree about Keith Barron. Keith Barron is amazing in this. He's so dead. There's no emotion, even when they're like having to shout out orders and stuff. It's just the voice that goes up. There is like nothing behind the eyes, which is really hard for an actor to do. It's incredible. Uh, and most of the cast follow on from that. But it's interesting that when you see the other Eternals, when you see Rack, she's totally different, which makes me think maybe that the Eternals, because they're also taking on kind of like, as well as taking on ships of a certain style and certain period, they're taking on the persona of the people that uh, actually would be in charge of those ships. So Rax mm. more of a swashbuckling R pirate. And, uh, you know, you've got Keith Barron, who's very prim and proper, Edwardian gentleman, everything has to be quite so. So I really yeah. enjoyed that. That performance was sensational. I, I want to know, did the docks on Turlo throw Rack and Lee John off of that ship? <laughs> yeah. because we cut, we, we cut yeah. away and then they're gone it's like oh, eh, I want to see that scene I want to see the fisticuffs involved and uh, nope out you go that would be quite yeah. exciting uh, uh, scary implication isn't it uh-huh. again stuff we don't see Turlo was fantastic uh, again in it it's, it's the conclusion of that story it's so so good his performance is excellent he really raises it there's that whole scene where he's just staring and he doesn't blink at all he's got the biggest eyes ever there's massive light in his face and i don't know how he possibly kept his eyes open as he was like screaming at the, you know at the crystal and it's insane and enlightenment in itself enlightenment is the choice it's uh, you know the eternals wanted it because we don't actually know why keith Barron wanted it because he says to the doctor i'm not telling you why i want it that's very plot convenient uh, but linda Barn wants to basically just destroy the universe or destroy parts of the universe just entertain herself, you know, create other bits that she might like, then destroy it again. Just try out different things. Whereas, you know, we don't know uh, Keith Bam's motivation. Give him Keith Bam. Uh, what's his name? Striker. We don't know his motivation. So, yeah, it's it's a fascinating story. 
but enlightenment is at the end is the choice and Turlo makes the right choice because the doctor the doctor has sussed him pretty much from his first scene yeah right from the whole from that scene where you know uh, back in modern where Turlo's saying uh, could this be something to do with the work ellipse and the doctor just yeah. looks at him and it's very subtle yeah. but it's like who are you <laughs> you're yeah. staying with me until I find out who you are yeah uh, it's obviously the doctor's mm-hmm. clocked that there's something going on and he's like right he's obviously suspicious of him but he's, he knows yeah. that it'd be He's got to let things play out to find out exactly mm-hmm. what's going on. One of the most interesting things I found, speaking of the Batman TV series as you were earlier on, is the entrance to Rack's secret weapon and the big massive lever and the big sign that says vacuum shield flashing. It was very much from the Adam West TV show, completely. Yeah. I'm expected to see it in a Dutch tilt. Uh, <laughs> you love a Dutch tilt. I love a You're Dutch tilt. Dutch in my whole life, I've never Anyone else talk about Dutch tilts as much? Not even the Dutch. Exactly. I know lots of Dutch people. No, don't. I think it's fair to say that this story does have a Dutch of class about it. Mm. (laughs) Uh, No, it's um, it's weird because I think between the three of them, Mm. there's the three stories, there's a lot of good ideas. It would have been nice if there'd been maybe a little bit more sort of thematic. Consistent, mm-hmm. but then I suppose there is when that you know, when you've got the the ship that's going to fly around forever until they all die in Morden, and then the ship at the centre of the universe, and then all these other ships sailing along. You know, there's there's a nice sort of little you know motif through it through all those. I think all the regular cast are really good as well, and they're not too mm-hmm. they're not too savoury. There's some savoury stuff at the start of um of Morden, but they're not too they're not too savoury. I'm always sort of, always sort of say like you know that I tend to enjoy Doctor Who stories more when they're in the proper context. And watching all three of these stories together, I think really enhanced my enjoyment of the film. I think for 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 whatever reason, if I was just watching each one on its own, I wouldn't have enjoyed it as much. But watching all three mm-hmm. together, it's nice enough of a sequence that you, know, you can get a lot from them. Yeah, I'd say that's very fair. I think you you can see a particularly in terms of Turlo, you get that wonderful thing of character development which you didn't always really get in the show mm. at that time and then unfortunately yeah. it actually stops pretty much with the final scene of this of yeah. enlightenment and then that's like Turlo's yeah. role is done sadly until Frontios yeah, yeah well, that's... Basically they get to they get to the king's demons and he's locked in a room <laughs> it's only two bloody episodes yeah well at the end of enlightenment you've got Turlo saying is it okay if we go back to my planet now and the doctor says sure and it doesn't happen. Uh, so <laughs> it's not like it's uh, the doctor's desperately trying to always go back. It's not Metabulous 3. He's not desperately trying to get there all the time. It's just sort of, let's just forget about that. So, yeah. We, so we know Turlo's an alien. We don't even know his first name. And, yeah. you know, nothing else is really resolved there. You mentioned there about the doctor not being able to get Turlo back to his home planet. Maybe it's because he wasn't try on hard enough. <laughs> this is oh, what I signed God. up for. Yes. Um, <laughs> it's, it's interesting because I sort of thought you know, there's room, there's room there for some big finish stuff. You know, between mm. and like King's Demons. I mean, they've done an awful lot of Peter Davison stories, but there's literally like what two or three at the most, I think, that are just the Fifth Doctor, Tegan, and Turlo. Mm-hmm. When you consider how long he actually travelled with them on telly, you know, yeah. it's. I'm sure there's a line. In King's Demons about not Turlo not being that fussed about going home. So I mean, 
come on, you know, BS next Fifth Doctor box set should be set between Enlightenment and King's Demons and maybe go into that a little bit further. Mm. Instead of just like, you know, instead of bloody Nessa. I mean, it baffles me that they've done so little Fifth Doctor Tegan and Tullow. And one of them's a bloody lost story. It's insane. There's only yeah. one, and then the other ones have got chameleon in them. So, yeah. Yeah. It is a bit strange. Mm. Yeah. But I think um, it is a good trilogy. I think it's, you do actually, it has a, it has a start, it has a middle, and it has an end. Mm. And so the regulars are great, and it just sort of leaves you kind of frustrated that they didn't do more with Turlow, given that what Mark Strix has shown what you can do. Yeah, and, and the end is the end is quite interesting because it's very similar to the end of Key to Time as well, with the Doctor kind of rejecting the ultimate power, you know, because that's not who he is or what he's about. So yeah, yeah. it's a nice mirroring of that, which I've really enjoyed. Yes, that's fair. Yeah, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well. I think we should at this point take a quick reminder to let people follow us on our social media. You can get us on Twitter at Power of Three Pod. That's the number three, written out as a number, not in full. And we also have a Facebook page. So please feel free to pop by, like the page, and share your thoughts because we'll try to remember to post something on it someday, somehow, somewhere. I haven't posted it. I haven't bored and no one else doing it. I haven't posted it on the Facebook page <laughs> in two months. I think we should just shut the Facebook page. I don't know. As if you'd shut down an outlet for your promotional abilities. From- yeah, I don't know. Um, Peter, how have you enjoyed your first Power of Three experience? I like how you say first. Yes, it's been phenomenal. And uh, yeah, thank you very much for having me. And I hope I didn't gush too much about Modern Undead, the best Doctor Who story that ever has been jointly with City of Death. Yeah, Peter, thank you for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure. God bless you. Thank yes, you, I thoroughly enjoyed it, getting to say hello to somebody who I recognise from Forbidden Planet and finally actually put a name <laughs> to the face of, so yay, great stuff. Well, listeners, thank you very much for joining us, and of course, in true Power of Three style, Dave, we have to decide what we're going to play out with today, and I think this oh, is one God. where you should, you should use your imagination. <laughs> well, given the illusory, illusionary nature of much of the Eternals we're conjuring, I think we should play out with um, Just an Illusion by Imagination, which was... A top 10 hit in March 1982. So before we we do that, I shall bid you farewell. Thank you for joining us, everyone. Take care. Waking or sleeping, I will (laughs) hopefully see you again some point on the Power of Three podcast, if I'm allowed back. I think you've actually just blotted your copybook there, Peter, with that, because I'm (laughs) bloody terrified. That was amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, indeed. Thank you very much for joining us, and we will see you and or hear you again soon. Bye-bye. Illusion.